Thank you for visiting the openword.org, where you can find a verse-by-verse exposition of almost the entire Holy Bible and other theological resources. Welcome to the next part of the series from Alan Schaefer. Verse 48, the Jews answered and said to him, Do we not rightly say that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Wow. (laughs) Now, who are the Jews here? Well, they're the Pharisee, the religious muckety-mucks. They're the rejectors. And, you know, one of the things here, you know, I mean, we do this. This is called an ad hominem argument, right? John knows all about those being a legal guy, you know. If you can't win your argument, just call the guy an idiot, and that supposedly, you know, lets you off the hook, you know. Well, you're stupid, you know. It's an ad hominem. They're saying to Christ, they, they can't argue the merits of what he's saying, so they just relegate him as a Samaritan. Now, that's, a, that's, a, that's one of the most um, demeaning things that a Jew could tell another Jew. You're a Samaritan. You're outside of God's covenant people. You're a half-breed. And not only that, you've got a demon. Well, that, that took a lot of really bright thinking to come up with that, right? Christ is healing people, raising the dead, and your conclusion is he has a demon. Christ confronts that in Matthew 12, remember? He says, now wait a minute, you know, um, if I'm going to go into a house and rob it, and there's a strong guy in there, what do I got to do first? Well, I got to tie up the guy first so I can rob his house. What is, which implies what about me and the, and the strong man? I'm stronger than him. So if I'm going to go plunder Satan's house, what does that imply that I have to be able to do? I have to be able to bind Satan. Now, that's not the binding Satan you see on TBN with Benny Hinn and all that junk. Yeah, that's not any, it has nothing to do with that. Christ is illustrating the fact that for me to rob a man's house, I got to be able to subdue the man. If I'm going to rob Satan's house, I must be stronger than Satan. All right. And who's stronger than Satan? God is. But these guys here, they they looked at all the evidence, scratched their heads and said, well, he's just a Samaritan and a demon. And Jesus said, yeah, I mean, right at this time, if I were Jesus, I would have smoked a couple of these guys right there. I'm done with it, right? Spontaneous combustion. Yeah. But notice the patience. Notice the compassion here. He did not. Rather, he says, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. You dishonor me by saying that I have a demon, and I don't seek my own glory. I'm not here for what's in it for me. I'm not here to draw attention to myself. There's one who seeks and judges. I'm here to draw attention to the Father. I'm here to merely tell you what the Father sent me to tell you. Nothing more. This is not my message. It's the message of the one who sent me. And by the way, folks, when you preach the gospel and share the gospel, it's not your message. It's the message of the one who sent you. So don't try to make it sound better than it is. You don't need to do that. That's like Michelangelo giving you a painting to take to someone. So I don't think he drew it correct, right? And you you correct Michelangelo's work. 
I mean, that's really what we're doing here. You know, God gives us the gospel and say, well, you know, that's a little tough for people to believe. You know, I'm going to soften it down, make it a little easier for them to take, you know. Spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. I'm going to sugar it up a little bit here. And I'm going to take away this cost of discipleship business and this abandoning all and this, if you don't hate yourself, you're not worthy to be my... I'm going to take that out and I'm going to make it a positive thing. Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And I'll have a big church like Joel Osteen does. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he'll never see death. What kind of death is he talking about? Spiritual death. The Jews said to him, now that we know, now we know. Now, okay, that clinches it. Now we know you have a demon. Abraham is dead and the prophets, and you say, if anyone keeps my word, you shall never taste death. Abraham's dead, all the prophets are dead, and you're telling us that if they keep your words, they'll never die? What kind of statement is that? Now, what were they thinking of? Spiritual, physical death. And see, they, they were experts at missing the point. And most people are today are experts at missing the point. Are you greater than our father Abraham who's dead? Are you greater than Abraham? Abraham's dead. And the prophets are dead. Who do you make yourself out to be? They're dead. The prophets are dead. You're telling me if I believe in you, I'm never going to die. And yet all the prophets are dead. You're nuts. You're crazy. You have a demon. Jesus said, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father who honors me of whom you say that he is your God. You, you say that God, the father, is your God. He's the one who sent me. He's the one who honors me. I don't honor myself. Yet you have not known him. But I know him. You say you're of the Father, but you don't know the Father. You don't know him. You think you do, but you don't. And and here's here's what was happening, folks. What kind of God did the Pharisees believe in? God. Do they believe in the true God? I think they believe in like an absentee lamb or who gave them the law and it's kind of in and out but not no, really interesting. I don't think that's at all. I think they believe in a God that they created thinking that it was the real deal. See, the God they created favored them over the Gentiles. The God that they believed gave them the law to keep so that they could go to heaven. The God that they believed in would, of course, congratulate them for their great godliness. The God that they believed in owed them because they kept his law in their mind. But that was not the God that was. And that's one of the problems in churches today. People have God. They, they believe in God, but it's not the God of the Bible. It's, it's a God of their own making. You ask the average American people, person, do you believe in hell? Yes. Do you believe you go there? No. Most Americans have a view of God that is not consistent with the scripture. And your churches are full of people that have a bad view of God. And John, even later on when he wrote the gospel, or the first John, he says, you know, there are three kinds of people. There's the kids, the children. What do they know? They know their sins are forgiven. They know who the Father is. The young men, what are they? Well, they're strong in the Word of God. They they understand doctrine. They're able to overcome the evil one. But what do the fathers know? 
They know God. The fathers know God. And I, I think, you know, when I look at my own spiritual life, I'm, I'm just now starting to get to the point where I'm starting to, to know God a little bit. And what I mean by that is not, while I can give you all 58 of his attributes, you know, I can tell you all about him theologically, but to know him personally. What do you think heaven's all about? Sitting on a, har on a cloud playing a harp? It's to get to know God, to enjoy fellowship with him. And Christ is saying, you don't know God. You think you do. You think you know the Father. But your Father, the Father that you believe in, is not the Father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is not the Father of the Old Testament. It's a Father. It's a God of your own creation. Because you brought God down. You brought yourself up, God down, so you could meet. And because of that, you don't know me. Of course you don't know the Father, because the Father you think you know is not the Father that exists. He's not there. But I know him, and if I say I do not know him, I'll be a liar like you. If I, in fact, Christ said, if I tell you I don't know the Father, I'm lying to you, because I know the Father. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Esau was glad. Your father Abraham rejoiced. And they said, you're not yet 50 years old. You've seen Abraham? You're not even 50 yet. Abraham died 2,000 years ago, or in their case, about 1,900 years. You're telling us you know Abraham? And Jesus said, most assuredly I say to him, you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, there are a bunch of yo-yos, liberal yo-yos, that say Jesus never claimed to be God. Come on. Yeah, he did, right here. What's Jesus saying? Before Abraham was, before Abraham even existed, I am. Now, what's the significance of the I am? Of the eternal God. That's the eternal God. God. Yes. Remember when he showed up to Moses, Moses said, well, what's your name? I mean, I got to tell him who sent me. And God said, I am that I am. Yahweh. Jehovah. I am. And he's not saying I am becoming. We talked about that last week. Remember the process theology boys that say, well, Jesus, God is sort of evolving as he goes along. And then you've got the open theism crowd that says, well, God, God really doesn't know the future. He's trying to sort it all out. And luckily, he's big and strong, can make things happen. But he does not know really infallibly what's going to happen in the future. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is eternal I am. He's not going to change. What do you mean by changing? He's not going to change. His character doesn't change. That's what it says. Jesus Christ is saying yesterday, today, and forever. Now, that's a comforting thought to me. You know that? And the reason it's comforting because I'm not going to be in heaven for a few trillion or billion years. And God say, you know, I've changed my mind about some things and some of you aren't going to like what's going to happen here. And it's not going to be, and it's not comforting to the unbeliever because it's not, God's not going to say, you know what, well, you've been down in hell here for a few trillion years. I'll watch you out. God's not going to change. Christ says, I am. I'm, he's identifying himself squarely with Jehovah of the Old Testament. Now, 
And this is part of the Trinity. I don't understand it. I don't pretend to understand it. I can't explain it. But I believe it. And you take it for that. Just just take God's word on it. And he took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them and so passed by. He confronted them head on. And what was the conclusion of the religious experts? He's a devil. He's a, he's, he's got a demon. He, he's a Samaritan. Because we know God. He doesn't. The problem is they got the wrong God. After he claimed himself, I am. It's like, let's kill him now. Yeah. And see, that's why when somebody says they believe in Jesus, ask them, Jesus who? Which, which Jesus do you believe in? Describe him to me. Ask Benny Hinn. Benny Hinn, you believe in Jesus. What Jesus do you believe in? Tell me about him. And if you really get him, if you can actually nail him down, which is kind of hard to do, he's like Jello. You can't, you know, he sort of whisk squishes around. You can't really know what he believes because he makes it up sort of as he goes along. You find out that the Jesus he believes in is not the Jesus you find in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And when the Mormons come to your door and say, "Yeah, we believe in Jesus," you find out their Jesus is not this Jesus. And Jehovah Witnesses, their Jesus is not. This Jesus. And when you talk to the Islamic crowd, their Jesus, although in, in their eyes Jesus is a great prophet, he's not the Jesus in the Bible. So when everybody says they believe in Jesus, you ask them, Jesus who? Which Jesus is it? Is it the Jesus that you have created? Or is it the Jesus that is? And look, folk, all of us are, are, are guilty to some degree or another of a of a of a incorrect or distorted view of God. All of us are. And what we need to constantly fight is to try and bring ourselves back to this is this is the God. The God that reveals that's the God I want to serve. Not the God that I create. Or not a God that I, you know, I want Jesus to be this. Or I want Jesus to be that. And there are people that say, well, you know, God, you know, he, they want to see God as a warm and fuzzy teddy bear. And the idea of wrath and eternal judgment and hell, that's why well, I don't want to believe in that. And I remember I was teaching a class one time and I told someone, I said, you know, I believe that God brought my grandfather to his deathbed before he understood who God was. And a lady got mad and said, my God would never do something like that. And if I was, went back in a time capsule and went back to that time, I'd probably tell her, knowing now what I did then, I said, well, you've got the wrong God. Make sure your God is this God, not some concoction of your own making. Mark. It was interesting enough, John. I and I went to a wedding about a wedding ceremony about a year or so ago. It was Jehovah's Witnesses. I mean, I, and the scripture that they read was just like we know it. I mean, during that ceremony, everything was. I mean, I could see where you could be deceived through the whole thing, but I mean, it was everything that we know of the way they were talking, you know, with the sermon, and it was really something. I I couldn't believe. How easily a person could probably be deceived, you know, by that. The problem is, and, and, and this is why this is why it's so sneaky. Why spiritual decept deception is so insidious, is they use the same words and just mean different things. All right, Catholics are very good at that. They use the same words. They use grace, but they mean something different from grace than I mean by grace. They use faith, but they mean something different. The Mormons say Jesus is 
is God's son, but they mean something different by that than what the Bible says. You know, so they use the same terminology, and if you don't dig under and say, okay, what do you mean by Jesus is God's son? What do you mean by that? You'll never get to that second level where you start seeing the heresy and the departure from the truth. You've got to ask those questions. All right? Jesus who? God who? What God is it? What do you mean by that? Just using the same terminology doesn't, doesn't make it right. All right? And, and, and that, that's what happened here. The, the Pharisees' problem, the, the Jews' problem here, they were so convinced that they knew God that the possibility of them not knowing him didn't even cross their mind. They could not imagine that they were wrong. It never occurred to them to question their own conclusions. Isn't that common of most religious people? Mm-hmm. Someone struck me too in that passage. They called him the worst name they could possibly think of to call him. And I thought to myself as I was reading that, you know, you know, you think about the degrees of hell. Surely that would have to make it a lot worse when you when you missed out on heaven, missed out on all that, and realized that God was standing this close to you, and all you did was call him the very worst name you could think of to call. Most of these guys are in hell right now. And they get to spend the rest of eternity thinking about how close they were and still miss it. And they only have themselves to blame. Don't fall back on the sovereignty of God thing. Well, you know, God, you would have chosen me out of belief. No, 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 no. They, they, they rejected him. They had the light right in front of them. I mean, it's, it's the same thing with evolution. It's the same thing with any kind of unbelief system that we have. You got all the evidence there, you draw the wrong conclusions. You can sit there and look at your hand and say that was an accident created over billions of years. I love reading books on, on anatomy. You sound I'm weird, you know. But I look at it and I, I look at at the, at the human body and, and the complexity of it and and the structure and and reading these books where they're explaining all of the, the intricate structure of the body and concluding that it was all, isn't it wonderful how nature created this? And it's like, you know, there's so many ways for you to die, you can't count them all. It's amazing anybody stays alive when you look at it. Yeah. And I read it, I, I used this before, I read a chapter on blood. That's boring. That was interesting. But actually, what makes blood so interesting, it's not the chemical composition of the blood. It's the actual three-dimensional physical structure of the hemoglobin molecule that makes it capable of carrying oxygen. It's the three-dimensional structure of it. Now, how did nature come up with that? It's crazy when people think that somehow this is all an accident. I'll tell you, you look at that, the hemoglobin molecule, and it's structured such that a little one atom of oxygen can fit right in there and not actually bind to the molecule, but can be carried by this molecule 
So like a little basket carries this oxygen molecule through your body. It's amazing. It's phenomenal. And some idiot says, oh, isn't it wonderful how nature came up with that? It's like, hello. I think it's easier to just believe God than, yes. than that. Yeah. But 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 man, and this is the this is the point, you know. And we, I've used this term in here before: the noetic effect of sin. Some of you have heard that. Some of you haven't. N o e t i c. It's a fancy word. It's, a, it's another one you can wow your friends with. Noetic. And what it means is sin has blinded your mind. It comes from the Greek word noose, thinking. Sin has altered your thinking. Sin has distorted your thinking so that you cannot know truth. Your very thought process has fallen. And left to yourself, you're going to come up with all the wrong answers. And Christ here is confronting the Pharisees and the Jews. You guys, you've come up with the wrong conclusions. And you're not open to considering the remote possibility that you got the wrong answer. And when some comes along, someone comes along to you with the right answer, your first response is, let's kill him. Your second response is to say, well, he's just a demon. And you reject it. It's not only the human aspect, though, Alan. Kind of when you look at the universe, the way the planet, I mean, the way everything's perfect, you know, Someone had to engineer it. There's no way. I mean, yeah, look I at it. that years ago before I was a Christian. <laughs> I mean, I could, there's no way. There had to be a creator. You, know? you, you look at the intricacies of creation and order. Yeah. It's, just it's not an accident, folks. No. You know, and, and these Pharisees and Jews, they, they watched Jesus. They should have picked up on it that he was different. And the best conclusion they could come up with their own fallen brains and gear was he must be a demon, must be controlled by a demon. He's got a devil in him. That's the problem. He's <laughs> nuts. He's crazy. And that's how the world's going to treat us. We're nuts. We're crazy. You can believe anything you want to today. Just don't believe you're right. Now we have the account in chapter 9 of the blind man. <coughs> Now, as Jesus passed by, disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, and he was born blind? They found a blind guy there. Blindness was common in Israel in those days. And he asked Christ, said, well, who sinned, this man or his mother? And that, that follows the general rabbinical <coughs> notion that somehow if someone was sick or diseased, or had a physical defect, they were a sinner. It was caused by their sin, or it was caused by their parents' sin. And see, the Pharisees like to pat themselves on the back because they weren't blind, therefore they were not sinners. See, the Pharisaical mindset, the Pharisees were very, they would fit very much into the prosperity gospel. Because they believed that because of their godliness, God had blessed them with health, with finances, resources, with whatever. God had blessed them. You know, they'd make they'd make a good Benny Hinn follower. 
And Jesus walks by, and here's a guy that's born blind begging, and the disciples ask him a very important question. Who sinned, this man or his mother? Now, what is, now the point is, they did not ask, or is there some other reason? All they knew is that, well, it must have been some sinful, something horrible he did. Now, can sin cause disease? Well, sure it can. But just because someone is sick doesn't mean they're, they sin. Just because someone is born with a deformity doesn't make them worse sinner than anybody else. But the Pharisaical and the Jews' mindset was anyone who had a physical deformity or sickness or something like that was because they were sinner. God was judging them. Look at Job, remember? Here's Job, and he has the three wise guys show up, right? And with three wise guys, and then they had a fourth guy come in. What, did, what was their conclusion? All right, come out with it, Job. What'd you do? Come on. Quit shining yourself. What'd you do? They couldn't believe that there was another explanation, and neither can these disciples here. And Jesus answered and said very interestingly, well, this man, nor his parents, and neither one of them sinned. But that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must do the works of the work, the works of him who sent me while it's day, the night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I'm the light of the world. Jesus' short answer was this guy was born blind so that the works of God could be seen in him. See, that's not fear of God. Don't go there. Shut up. That's what Paul says, Romans 9. Shut up. You're going to question the potter? You're going to question the creator? I mean, Christ is basically saying this guy was born blind and had been blind all his life so that at some point in Christ's ministry, he could come and heal the guy. You say, well, that would have been a bummer if we knew that guy, wouldn't it? I mean, that's not really fair of God to make you blind like that. That's not for you to question God. It's not for you to question the Creator. Can I ask a question? Uh, where was this taking place in relationship to the encounter with the uh, Pharisees? Probably shortly, shortly, very shortly after that. It could have been the next day or it could have been as he was going out. And when he said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva and anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. So Christ spits on the ground, makes some dried mud, puts it on the guy's eyes. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Which the translation said, he went and washed and came back seeing. Now this is interestingly interesting. This is the only recorded healing of Christ where it was not immediate. Every other time Christ heals somebody, what happened? Immediate healing, right? Christ did not heal somebody and they walked around saying, I'm getting better. Well, that's what you hear from the guys today, you know. I guess Benny Hinn's brother, Henry Hinn, came into town to a church, certain church on the north coast. And uh, somebody went forward to get healed and they were told that he, were not, he wasn't doing migraines that night. But to come back the next night, he'd do some migraines. And a lot of people walked out saying, well, I'm being healed. So you're not healed. No, but I'm getting better. I'm making fun of that, but it's a true statement, folks. Look, when Christ heals you, you're healed. 
But in this case, he didn't. And there's a lot of debate on saying, boy, you know, what's going on here? Was this guy really a tough case that he couldn't heal him right away? What was going on here? I don't think it had anything to do with that at all. Most Bible commentators and scholars, when they get to this passage, say what this is is an illustration. Christ is using this man as a spiritual illustration of the disciples starting to get their sight, starting to see. You know. Um, do you believe that? What's that? So, do you agree with those commentators? Um, I would say so, yeah. Um, in this case, Christ's healing was was coupled with the guy actually doing. And there was another account. I'm, I'm thinking too. There's another account where the guy said, "I see men walking as trees," and then he sees them whole. Um, in both cases, I think there there's an application that goes beyond just the healing. Christ is making a point to the fair, to the disciples. In this case, this guy's healing was coupled with what? Obedience, right? Um, sort of like Naaman. Remember poor old Naaman? I love the story of Naaman. Leper. Yeah. Comes to the, I mean, this guy comes down with a big entourage. He's got all the money, you know, all of the stuff here. All the presents to give the man of God. And Elijah doesn't even go out. He says, ah, just go tell him to go walk, go dip in Jordan seven times. He'll be a hole. Doesn't even come out and say anything to the guy. Now, this is, you know, big muckety-muck here. And the man of God doesn't even, he sends his servant to go tell him this. And Naaman's sort of upset, you know, and he's on his way back, he's fuming and fussing, you know, and this is not really the guy to tick off because he's the head of the army of your number one enemy. And I like what the servant said, you know what, if he had asked you to do something great, you'd have done it. What's it hurt? Go, go see if it'll work. And he did. And when he came up out of the water, his, face, his skin was like that of a baby's. And remember, he went back to the man of God and says, you know what? He says, look, I'm the captain of the army. I've got to go do my religious duty with my king and the temple. But let me tell you what, when I'm bowing down, it's not to that idol. It's to your God. Will Naaman be in heaven? I think so. He just did. In this case, this man was said, I want you to go and I want you to wash it off. Couple the healing with obedience. Now, this is not always the case. Many times Christ just healed him outright. In this case, this man was told to go wash off in the pool of Siloam. And therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is this is not this he who sat and begged? Someone and some said, This is he, others said, Well, it looks like him. But he said, I'm the one. That was um Homer, mm -hmm. he speaks about this incident, uh, particularly about Jesus telling the man to go wash off the mud um, in that pool of Siloam, and that uh, it's called um, the one who sent mm -hmm. or something to that degree. And he was saying how that uh, could possibly be kind of an illusion, not illusion, but an illusion regarding Christ being the one who was sent mm -hmm. to bring light. Mm -hmm. and sight to Israel and to believers. And I think that fits in and that fits in very well here because Christ brought sight or 
light to this man, but for this man to receive the light, what did this man have to do? Obey. Obey. And that's the point Christ is making all the way along in this, isn't he? I'm the light of the world, but you're in darkness. How do you go from darkness to light? Well, from the divine perspective, it is the Father who draws you and gives you the ability to believe, but we don't see that part. So we don't, we don't concentrate on that. How do you go from darkness to light? You believe on me. You do what I tell you to do. In this case, you know, this guy had not gone and washed off in the pool salon, we would not have this chapter in this account. But he did. Yeah. And so immediately all the experts saying, well, who is, you know, is this the guy? Now, now you got to understand, how long has this guy been there? A long time. And later on, they said he had been there his entire life. He was over 32 years old. And he'd been there a while. So everybody knew had this man was blind and had been walking over him and giving him alms his entire life. And so they said, well, what's going on here? And he said, well, I'm the one. Therefore, they said, well, how, how are your eyes open? What happened? And he answered, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. And they said, where is he? And he said, I don't know. How does he not know? Well, Christ sent him away to, to the pool. He didn't know where Christ was, right? Mm -hmm. He had somebody take him or lead him there. And it's interesting, uh, they asked him, well, wh what happened? He said, I don't know. I, this guy, Jesus, gave, put mud in my eyes and told me to go wash off. And I can see now. Now, is this guy looking for a miracle? Mm -mm. So they brought him who was formerly blind to the Pharisees. I got to bring him to the religious mucky mucks now. The crowd, the people, what's going on? They bring this guy who was born blind to the Pharisees. And it was a Sabbath. I think Jesus just waited for the Sabbath. <laughs> he did. I mean, I, I'm thinking, I'm trying to think here. If I was thinking on this earlier, are there any examples of, of singular healing that Christ did not do on the Sabbath? I mean, I think there's one with Jairus' son, or the servant, or the girl, the daughter. How about the one he raised from the dead, the widow of Nain's son? But I'm thinking more than half of the healings, the individual healings, not the crowd healings, but the individual ones in the in the Gospels were done on the Sabbath. The withered hand, the woman bent double, um, this one, the one before this, you know. I think he took special pleasure just waiting for Sabbath to roll along. Okay, who can I heal today now to get these Pharisees riled up? Not simple. <laughs> it was Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. And the Pharisees also asked him again how he'd received his sight. And he said to them, he put clay on my eyes. I washed and I see. He's just saying what happened. 
and it happened to be a Sabbath day. Now, that, that really fried the Pharisees, right? Because that you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. I mean, what is going on here? Not supposed to do Sabbath work. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Well, that was really bright. Duh, duh, duh. <laughs> That was a Sabbath crowd. Wait a minute. It's a Sabbath. You can't heal on the Sabbath. He can't be from God. Now, how did they conclude that? From, from an exegetical study of the Old Testament? No. No. It was their tradition. Okay. Now, how did it do with their tradition? It had nothing to do with the commandment of God. Yeah, can't speak to that degree. Uh, also, it speaks of how when Jesus made the clay, they related that to kneading, leave kneading dough. Yeah. And so that was work. So mm -hmm. outlaw. Yeah. I mean, remember Christ went through the fields on the Sabbath day and got some corn kernels off to eat, and they got him for threshing on the Sabbath day. See, the Pharisees, you understand how onerous the Sabbath had become. It had become so, so, so much of a, a burden to people that it lost its original significance. And they created laws where none existed. And Christ healing this man on the Sabbath immediately caused a contingent of the Pharisees to say he can't be from God because he broke one of our laws. Now, notice what they said. He did not break the law of God, right? Because there is no law in the Old Testament. Talks about it. By the way, here's, here's the thing. Toss this out. What's harder to teach someone? A rule or a principle? A principle. That's the hardest thing. Because we like rules, don't we? We like the rules. The Pharisees wanted the rules. What was the principle in the Old Testament? What was the principle behind the Sabbath day? Day of rest. A day of rest. What does it mean, a day of rest? You sit around on a lawn chair? No, it's, it's a day to abstain from just your regular work day. And a day to just your gainful employment, whatever that is. Right. And just to focus on God. And to be able to rest right from working. Because in those days, most people work six days a week. From sunup to sundown. And a Sabbath was a time for them to enjoy fellowship with one another, fellowship with God, to refrain from having to go to the market and working in the field and whatever else they did. It was not to be an honorous day where, you know, as soon as the sun went down, you sat down right where the sun went down and you had to sit there for 12 hours until the next sundown when you can then get up and do something. That's not what it was all about. But the Pharisees said, well, you're not allowed to work. Therefore, well, what do we, let's define work now. And boy, they came up with it. Like you said, you couldn't, that was needing. 
Another one said uh, you can only write so many letters. Anything over that was work. You could only walk so far. If you walked farther than that, you were considered doing work. It was an onerous thing. You could, you could get your donkey out of a hole that he fell in, but if somebody broke their leg or hurt themselves, you could do enough to keep them comfortable, but you could not set the bone. That would have been work. And what they'd done is they created all of these traditions around it. And it was not just the Sabbath, it was everything. And we do the same thing. Before you start beating on the Pharisees, remember, a lot of us come from traditions where we did the same thing. Don't go to a movie. It's sinful. It's godless. What are you going to supporting Hollywood for? Wait till it comes out on television. You can watch the movie then. Or wait till it comes out on DVD and go rent it at the video store. Now remember being in this church with a pastor that preached the 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 hellfire and brimstone on the, the evils of the Hollywood and going to a movie theater and the pastoral staff here would go to the video rental places with the X-rated and R-rated posters on the wall renting videos to watch, but they dare not go to a movie theater. That makes a lot of sense. The, the, point, the point that the Pharisees had missed is the principle and if they had gotten the principle down, the actions would have followed. But they would rather stick with the little rule. So they pulled out their little rule book and, you know, paragraph 38, section 5, line 14 says, you're not allowed to heal on the Sabbath. And that's what they wanted. And because Christ broke their little rule, obviously he was not a very godly person. And by the way, we do the same thing. I went to a church where, you know, we make God happy, but but you know, those people out there that 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 um you know that, that drink a beer, you know, oh that's horrid, you know, they're they're on their way to hell. Or the person that smokes a cigar, oh they they're they're on their way to hell. They're just getting they're practicing the smoking right now because that's what they're gonna do for eternity. Practicing right now, getting ready. And oh man, you can't use cards with numbers on them. Nope, can't do that. Nope, nope, can't have a king, jack, or queen on it. You can you can play rook. That's okay, but don't use the other cards. That's sinful. If you do that, you're in danger of hellfire. Don't dance. No dancing. I mean, we create the we create those rules too, folks. We do the same thing. We got to get away from that. Now, if you have a personal conviction about against some of those things, that's fine. That's all right. It's, go ahead. But don't make it, don't don't bring it, don't raise your conviction to the level of a thou shalt not kill. There's a big difference between your conviction and the commandment of God. And the Pharisees had missed that. They created these commandments of men. And they've missed the commandment of God. Christ says, you tithe mint, annas, and cumin. Those are tiny, eensy, teensy, weensy seeds. And they would actually count out the seeds. You see, nine for me, one for God. Nine and he says, you, you do that, and, and when it comes to justice and mercy, you miss that. But, boy, you got your seeds down. You, you, you get those down. And the pinheads, I had to use that word, a good O'Reilly word. The pinheaded Pharisees could not conceive of anybody 
not doing what they thought was right and being with God, because after all, they had all the right answers. And there are churches today that believe their worship and their spin on doctrine is the right way and everybody else's is wrong. And when God shows up, he's going to congratulate them for being the last holdouts for the truth. Almost every yeah, that's all of them. It's about. We're the first generation that's got worship down right. No, we're not. It's the heart. And they said, he can't because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. And then others said, now, now wait a minute. How can a man who's a sinner do these things? How can someone who is not of God or not sent from God or not a prophet, how can he heal someone who's been blind for 35 years or whatever. How can he do that? And there's a division among them. They're the ones that said he can't be a buster. Others said, now wait a minute, how can he do these things? What was happening to their sight a little bit? They were seeing the healing. They were starting to get some mud applied, weren't they? All they had to do now is go wash it off and they would see. They said to the blind man again, what do you say about him who opened your eyes? He said, he's a prophet. Well, what do you say? You're the one who was healed. What do you think? Well, he's a prophet. Duh. What do you think I'm supposed to think? He's a demon? He's a, de he's a Samaritan? Come on. Of course he's a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. And here's the point. The guy had been sitting there for over 32 years or 30 years or whatever, blind, and they didn't believe it because he did not fit into their idea. So here you got, you've got a crowd that says, this guy's not of God because he healed on the Sabbath. You've got another crowd that says, well, no, this is really not a healing. This guy could see all the way along. You know, he's just putting us on. So we're okay. We could still believe that there's no miracle here. So I can squirm out of this having to accept him as a prophet from God, knowing that, well, this I thought this was a miracle, but it's really not a miracle. And then they said, um, this is a, you know, this this isn't this wasn't a real healing. So they called the parents in. And they asked him, saying, Is this your son who you say was born blind, and how then does he now see? This is your son. Is this your son that you say was born blind, and he's now seeing? How is this? And his parents would answer and said, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind, but by what means he now sees, we do not know, or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age. Ask him. He will speak for himself. And that was usually means the guy's about 30 years old. He's old enough. Ask him yourself. Now, the parents, what are they doing? They're trying to squirm out of having to deal with this. Right. Because you got to understand, what was the tone of the Pharisees when they brought the parents in? Angry and demanding. Probably pretty, in, you know, it's angry, it's demanding, it's you know, and it's like, boy, you know, we better watch what we say because they're really upset here. They were afraid of getting kicked out of church. They were afraid of getting, oh, yeah. yeah, because they didn't want to be disynagogued, well, excommunicated. Ask him. He's old enough. <laughs> Ask him. Because his parents said these things, so they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. 
Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, that's him. Talk about intellectual freedom. If anyone says that this is Christ, we're going to disfellowship him and throw him out of the church, out of the synagogue. They had already agreed to that. These Jews hated him, hated Christ. Yeah, that's funny. I mean, that's where culture has to come into play because, you know, us sitting here thinking about it, I mean, in our day and living here in America, thinking, okay, they'll not allow him to, you know, be in the worship team. So what? They don't, we don't think in terms of what that would cost them to be excommunicated. Culturally, when you were excommunicated from the synagogue, any Jew would not have anything to do with you. Right, business or otherwise. Yeah, you were shunned. It was like the old Amish shunning. Mom, you were a pariah. Your friends wouldn't call you. They wouldn't talk to you. They wouldn't come over and visit you. You couldn't go over and visit them. You know, it was a, you were a social outcast. You were like a leper. No one wanted anything to do with you. Plus, your whole life revolved around the uh, the synagogue, the synagogue, and you know the temple, the holy days, and yeah. I mean, there are people today that you witness them, and and they say, "I know Jesus is God, and I know I need to do, believe in Him, but if I do, my parents will disown me, and I'll be thrown out of the Catholic Church." So we say that, right? Because we understand, but to them, their whole life is that. Mm -hmm. Their whole life is that. Um, if you want to think about a modern day analogy of this, look at the Islamic community. You know, if you become a believer there, you might as well be killed because no one will have anything to do with you. Your parents disown you, you're disinherited, no one will have anything to do with you. And in fact, most of them stay, most of them consider it an honor and a duty to God to kill you for abandoning the faith. Talk about a cost to believe. This guy's parents said, we're afraid. Ask him. They're, they're, they're passing the buck. So again, they, they called again the man who was blind and said to him, give God the glory. We know this man is a sinner. Come on. Give glory to God, but don't say this guy did it because we know that he is a sinner. What is a sinner here? Sinner, ham aris. He's not of us. He is an evil person. He doesn't follow our laws. He's not one of us. And their assumption was, and this is the problem, those Pharisees died believing they were right. And, and, and instead of finding God walking in the paradise, they found them cast into the into hell. You know, this uh, give glory to God, they refer back to, to the book of Joshua when Achan was found mm -hmm. to have uh, the idols right. in his possession and those things mm -hmm. that were taken from Ai. Mm -hmm. And that's what Joshua said to him, give glory to God. And so what... Uh, Kent says in his book is regarding is is they're kind of in a way saying to him, you know, fess up, right? Fess up to your sin here. Yeah. yeah. Glorify God. Tell it was your sin, and and God did something here, but don't tell us that this man did it. Yeah. Don't bring him in because we know he's a sinner. 
Folks, I mean, I mean, I can't imagine the shock and horror of the Pharisee that dies. There are records of some of the deaths of Pharisees. One Pharisee had his accountant bring in his alms book so that he could hold it up and show God that he had given alms all his life. Trying to sort of remind God, now, now look what I've done for you. These guys are convinced. You're right. I mean, you know, think of the Islamic terrorists that blow themselves up thinking they're going to wind up in a paradise surrounded by 72 virgins only to find themselves in hell. Yeah. And not only that, they find that the inmate next to them is Muhammad. I mean, now it's scary. It really makes me stop and stand in awe of God's grace to me. And I really say that. I mean, I, many nights I'll, I'll sit there before I go to sleep and just just try to ponder it. And I just cannot wrap my head around God's grace to me. But he opened my eyes and gave me sight and allowed me to see. And, you know, I just, I'll never get over that. And I shouldn't get over that. You should never get over the wonder and the awe of what he has done. And to realize it's not you. It's not your wonderful personality or whatever. It is his grace. And the Pharisees, they, they viewed God as owing them eternal life. And it's amazing. Just think of Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. When it talks about sin, the Bible uses the term wage. What's a wage? You earn it. You work for it. And God is basically saying, you know what? You worked for death. You worked really hard to, to, for death. I'm going to pay you in full. But then it says this, the gift of God is eternal life. In contrast, wages and gift. What is eternal life? Is eternal life a wage? Now see, the Pharisees, they would say, the wages of sin is death, and the wages of righteousness is eternal life. That's how they viewed it. The wages. I earned it. God owes me. And Paul says, it's not, God doesn't owe, God owes you death. God owes you judgment. It's his gift, his grace, that gives you eternal life. And these guys, they were convinced, they were absolutely 100% convinced that they had eternal life. Therefore, anybody that did not think like them and view God like them could not have eternal life. And they told this man, fess up. Don't tell us it's this man that gave you. We know better because we know he's a sinner. You're lying to us. You're not telling us the truth. He answered and said, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. I like this guy. 
He says, you know, I don't know whether he's a sinner or not. You know, I'm not a theological expert. I didn't go to the greater Jerusalem seminary. I didn't have Gamaliel as a teacher. He said, I don't know whether he's a sinner or not, but I do know this. Once I was blind, and now I see. So I know that. You guys can argue about whether he's a sinner or not. I know this. He healed me. He gave me sight. And by the way, the analogy here is clear. This guy got physical sight. Those who believe in Jesus get what? Spiritual sight. And they said to him again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? What did he do? What was the trick? They don't they want to discount the miraculous. They want to make it a trick. What trick did he do? He's a sorcerer. He's of the devil. How did he do it? And I like this guy. He said, I already told you and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? I love this. Do you want to go believe on him? <laughs> And that really frosted him. Yeah. You gotta love him. All right. I mean, really, I want to talk to this guy. When I get to heaven, you know, one of the guys I want to look up, you know, a few million years down the road is this guy and just talk to him, you know. He said, I already told you, and you don't want to believe it? Want me to tell you again? What was the problem? The problem is he wasn't giving them the answer they wanted. They didn't like that. Well, they wanted him to say something else. He did it via sorcery or whatever. They didn't want to hear that he healed them. And, and, and he said, uh, maybe you want to hear it again, because maybe you want to become his disciples. <laughs> oh, that'll, that'll get him going. <laughs> and they reviled, and they mocked him. You gotta understand, the Pharisees saw themselves as the as as next in line when it comes to a vacancy in the Trinity. And this guy was a person that was born blind and obviously was a sinner, and he's not one of us. We're godly. He's what's this? It's like the tax collector and publican, or the publican and the, the Pharisee, right? Went down to the temple to pray. Pharisee got as close as he could to the sacrifice and was relating to God, giving him his resume of how righteous he was. And he was glad he wasn't like this and that. And I'm not like the publican that's over there. And there was a publican that was away from the sacrifice. And all he could say is, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Christ said, that man went down justified, not the Pharisee, which would shock the Pharisees. How dare you say that the one who is righteous is not, and the one who is not righteous is. See, that's grace. They said, they mocked this guy and said, well, you're his disciple. We're Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses of this fellow. We do not know where he's from. We're, Mo we're, we're Abraham. We listen to Moses. We listen to the law. We don't know about this guy. We're in. 
This guy, he's not like, he must be outside of us. And again, it goes back to the pinheaded nature of their thinking because they considered themselves right. There was no possibility of them being wrong. And therefore, if somebody did not line up with their thinking, obviously that person was not of God. And anybody who did not agree with them was not of God. And anybody who did not agree with their conclusions was not of God. And they reviled this guy and said, you must be one of his disciples. We're, you're one of his disciples. We're Moses' disciple, which means what? You're going to hell. We're going to heaven. You're following that guy there. The man answered and said to them, and I think he said this sarcastically, you know. <laughs> wow, well, this takes the cake here. <laughs> you don't know where he's from? I really like this guy, you know. Yeah, he's open. Now, we know that God doesn't hear sinners. But if one is the worship of God and does his will, he hears them. Since the world began, it's been unheard of. If anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind, if this man were not of God, he could do nothing. This guy got the, he got it. He said, wow, he said, this is really bright. All you, all you experts here. Duh, what's wrong with you? And I'm the bump in here. Since the beginning of the world, in other words, no one has ever heard of someone who's was born blind, having their eyes open. I like that tongue. When the saints go marching in. <laughs> Many times heard it already. What's that? He didn't know about, I don't think he knew much about Christ. Not Christ, it's God, yeah, he knew about God, but but he's saying, you know, he's saying, oh, you guys are the experts, you know, you can't come up with that conclusion. You know, he's really, I, I think he's really sarcastically ridiculing them. Well, all you bright boys here, you got you got the wrong answer. You think since since time began, you haven't heard anything, and, and we know that God doesn't hear sinners. You know that. But God listened to this guy, therefore he must not be a sinner, duh. I mean, he really rips into them. His faith is progressing now. Because, because he says, this guy here, he, he's got the... He, if you want to think about it, what has happened here? The mud has been applied to his eyes. Spiritually, the blind man. The mud's sort of been applied to his eyes. He's starting to get it. Because then what happens is they answered and said, well, you're completely born in sins, and you're going to teach us, and they threw him out. See, that's the old I had to have. Remember, whenever they got back into the corner, the Pharisees said, oh, well, you're a devil. Uh, you're a, uh, you, you must be demon-possessed. Oh, well, you were born in sin. We don't have to listen to you. you. Obviously, you don't know what you're talking about. So the experts throw the guy out of the synagogue. Early they drove him out. <laughs> said, wait a minute, you were born in sin, you're going to teach us? One of the things about this kind of thing is it creates a great amount of what I call spiritual arrogance. Thinking that somehow you're special. One of the things we got to get over as Christians right now is realize we are not anything special. In fact, Paul says, look around you, any, 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 any mighty guys in your group? 
Any noble? I don't see any noble. How about rich people? Nope, none of those. How about the strong guy? Nope, none of those. What's God chosen? God's chosen the riffraff of the world. That's in the Schaefer version. He's chosen the riffraff. He's chosen the nothings. He's so chosen the social outcasts. He's chosen the things that are not. To confound the things. We're a bunch of the has-nots. There's nothing special about you. Don't fall into the spiritual arrogance trap of thinking that somehow you're God's gift to Christianity. And that your conclusions are all right. And that anybody who doesn't agree with you is wrong. I remember a friend of mine said, you know, he, he said, I'm, I'm not wrong. I'm always right. Mm. Well, that's interesting. The same person told me one time, he says, it's spiritual pride, and I'm bringing this up because of the spiritual pride. He said, Alan, he said, the only person that can teach Bible in the church better than me is you. I said, I would never compare myself to anyone, first of all. And I, I don't, I don't even think that. But this guy was, you know, he was trying to make himself, this is the same guy that divorced his wife and married somebody else seven days later. Yeah. Folks, you're nothing. <clears throat> don't think that you're something. Don't think that you're God's gift to your church. And somehow, if you don't go to your church, everything's going to unravel. God doesn't need you. Don't, don't think you have all the answers. Don't get to the arrogant point to think you're better than someone else, or you're smarter than someone else, or you're more spiritual. Don't, don't fall into the spiritual comparison trap. That's what the Pharisees did. And that damned them. Here's a, here's a blind guy who got the point. And the experts missed it. And God takes great joy in that, right? Because what was the problem with the Pharisees? They were blind. And later on, Christ tells them that. Because it said, they answered and said to him, you were born in sins. They threw the guy out, ridiculed him. And then Jesus heard, you know, and the word gets around, you know. Jesus heard they cast him out. When he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of God? So Christ looks this guy up that he healed. He said, do you believe in the Son of God? And he answered him, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Who is he? Just show, point him out. Now the idea here is Son of God is a messianic term. Do you believe in the Son of God? And the man says, point him out and I'll believe. Because what had happened, God did something to him. He knew that this was not a devil or a Samaritan to pull this one off. This was God to pull this off. Just show me who he is. Plus, you don't you think when he got kicked out of the synagogue, that his whole life, as he knew it as a Jewish person, had come to an end? Yeah. He said, show me the Son of God, I believe. And Jesus said, you have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Uh, this guy will be in heaven. He believed in him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he worshipped him. 
The idea of worship there is adore, venerate, honor. This guy who was spiritually blind, or, or physically blind and spiritually blind, is now physically seeing, and now he is spiritually seeing. God not only granted him physical sight, but spiritual sight. Why? As an illustration. Why was this guy born blind? So that we would have John chapter 9 in our Bible. That's why. And if you were that guy, you say, you know, I'm glad I was born blind and now I can see both physically and spiritually. I'll take that over being physically, having physical sight my entire life. And Jesus said, for judgment I've come into the world that those who do not see may see and those who see may be made blind. I came into this world to do the opposite of what people think. Those that are blind, I came to give sight to the blind and to blind those that see. Now you got to understand what he means by that. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and they said to him, Are we blind also? And Jesus said, and I think there's sarcasm here in his voice. If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say we see, therefore your sin remains. What's he saying? Of course you're blind. If you think you see, you're blind. You don't need any truth. You're not, you're not open to spiritual light because you think you already see. And because you already see, your sin remains. Because you don't need a healer. What did Christ say? Only the sick need a doctor. The Pharisees weren't sick in their own minds. They, they had spiritual sight. They understood divine truth in their perspective. And Christ is saying, no, you're blind. And I've come that those who do not see can see. And, and that's something, folks, we, you know, in closing, think about this. <coughs> Why is it that we have spiritual sight? It's not because of our intellectual powers. It's not because we're smarter than somebody else. It's not because we accidentally picked the right religion to believe in. It's because God granted us the sight, the spiritual understanding. He has transformed us and has given us an ability to understand spiritual truth and is the Holy Spirit within us that enables us to see it. And he's going to say that again coming up. When he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. In 1 Corinthians 2, Paul says, If you want to know, the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him. He can't know them. It is the Holy Spirit that gives you spiritual sight. It's not you. There's nothing in you to boast. So, chapter 9. Are we behind schedule now? One chapter. We'll catch up. Don't worry. Test is the next. The test. I'm. Not, I was thinking about that. Um, the test will probably be after chapter 11. I'll bring it in and you take it home and fill it out. And if you cheat, God will judge you. All right. Well, let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for this time that we've had to study this wonderful text.
Thank you for spiritual sight that we can see. And I pray, Father, we would not become spiritually arrogant, thinking that we have all the right answers, but that we be humble. We depend on you. And that um, instead of following rules, we would follow the relationship. Thank you for this time. Help us to ponder these things as we go our way. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening. This podcast was made in part with creative consulting and production assistance by Third Mass Studio. For your production needs, send an email to thirdmassstudio at gmail.com. For other lectures in this series and more biblical media resources, visit theopenword.org.